Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today I'm super excited to talk because we're talking to Paul Wilson. I met Paul back in April when we were taking Journey to 100, uh, the documentary we made at Athletic Brewing, taking that across the, the country. And Paul was photographing one of the events, and we got to talking. He's a friend of Jason Hardrath, the subject of Journey to 100, and uh, just heard about his story. We went out uh, for dinner afterwards and just got to listen to what he's doing, what he's into, and it was awesome. And I was immediately like, you've got to be on the podcast because this is amazing. Uh, some of the highlights of what he does, because he does a lot of things, he's a professional photographer, Chief Storyteller at Rios to Rivers, Lead Ambassador for the Northwest River Supplies, and a really good whitewater kayaker. In fact, right after this conversation we had, he was getting ready to leave on like a month-long kayaking trip where he was training a bunch of kids to do this epic adventure in a couple years. They're just getting kids ready right now. Um, so I, I honestly want to hear how that went and would love to have him back on. Um, but Paul grew up in Oregon and is Native, Native American, and so his people have been there a very long time near the Klamath River, and they have unfortunately seen the damming of the river over generations uh, and some of the devastating effects that has had on the river uh, and the ecosystem. And so what's really cool is that Paul and his crew are using whitewater kayaking as a way to advocate to have the river restored back to its natural state. So uh, what they're going to do is they're going to remove all the dams along the river, and it is happening very soon, uh, and they're going to make a documentary about kayaking, descending it for the first time without dams, which is going to be awesome, and they're going to bring all these kids to do it. So that's you know just part of his story, but we're going to talk a lot about that and a lot about uh, how he got into the sport because there's a very unique story there too that involves going down to Patagonia, which is an epic way to get into any adventure sport. So um, it was a pleasure having Paul on. I encourage you to follow him. Uh, Instagram, he posts amazing pictures. Rios to River, you can find out more about him in the show notes. There's a lot of links. Uh, but anyway, thanks, Paul, for being on and look forward to talking to you soon. Let's go ahead and jump in. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Uh, today we are talking to uh, someone I'm re I'm really stoked to talk to, Paul Wilson. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hey man, it was an adventure getting here. You know, this is uh, I forgot an SD card, and you had traffic stuff, and here we are talking though. So so where uh, where are you coming from today? Uh, I'm here in Southern Oregon. I'm at the Gaucho Collective in Klamath Falls. Now. I, I, I see. I know this. I always ask this first. It's like, where's home for you and where you're from? Um, but you're from Klamath Falls area it's originally too. Well, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. So my family's been here in the Klamath Basin. I'm I'm native, so I'm Klamath and Modoc tribes. So my you know my peoples have been here for uh, a little over fourteen thousand years, and I live in a little town on the Wood River in a town called Fort Klamath. A, a true native. Of that area, not yeah, not someone like me. Um, you've been fourteen thousand years, so that's an estimation of how far it goes back. That's crazy. Yeah, those are those are our oldest shoes. So, however long it takes you to learn how to make shoes in a place, that's that's our oldest developed technologies. Oh my gosh, that is wild. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so you know, I know you do a lot of different things, but I, I want to know. Growing up, 
where you did and, and how you did. Were you like, did, were you encouraged to pursue any sort of in, venture sports? And and that could be just out outdoor skills or anything at all. Um, was that just part of life growing up, or was that something you had to discover later? I think the formal setting of like adventure sports was something kind of relatively new to me. But growing up, my dad had us, I mean, my, my parents kind of had us in, you know, typical sports, lacrosse, basketball, uh, soccer, those kinds of things. But my dad is a real outdoorsman. He's always been connected to land. He can live subsistently, you know, summer, winter in some pretty harsh conditions. He can get his own food, develop structures and, and, you know, take care of himself. And so he always taught us those things. And I didn't realize how intimate that relationship was just because it was normal to us coming up and snowshoeing out into, um, you know, these creeks and and rivers in the middle of the winter. Uh, We're hunters and fishers. And so, you know, being able to spend a good amount of time self-sufficiently crossing land has always been a part of not regular lives, but pretty, pretty consistent throughout the year. So that has been a really cool way for me as I'm kind of dipping my toes into the adventure sports world to, to feel comfortable, to feel at home, um, in these really bad country type settings on expeditions. I feel so happy and, and wonderful out there. Man, that is too cool. Your dad sounds awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he is. He really is. Are y'all still pretty close? Yeah, yeah, he just got his knees redone. Both knees were replaced. So for the last like 30 years, his knees have been bone on bone. And still, it, it was really hard to to slow him down at all. And he's back up and running with some biotic knees now. Um, and so it's been really cool to see him, you know, at the beginning of the year, just down and out. And he's already back and spending time out in the woods on his own. And I'm excited to try to get him out into the mountains later on this year. Better watch out. Better watch out. Daddy's got new knees. <laughs> that is awesome, man. <laughs> a mix of the old and the new outdoor survival skills and like Terminator knees. You know, you need both. It's a balance. Right. That is awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I want to kind of hear, you know, the, the outdoor survival stuff or just kind of the subsistence is, is so interesting. But I know that you're huge into kayaking now and i'm pretty sure there's a story there of how you got involved because it involved you you and your sister uh and i heard a little bit about it when we met in oregon uh but i want to i want to hear the full story if if you can yeah totally so my my introduction to like paddle sports through whitewater like outdoor rec type kayaking and rafting because my people are canoe people, so we've always kind of been around uh, the lakes and rivers. In 2017, my little sister, in the middle of summer, she was asking my parents and asking myself and my other siblings, you know, can I um, apply for this program? She had heard through the grapevine. We live in a, um, you know, Chilliquin, Southern Oregon, really rural community. Not too many big opportunities come come by all the time. And uh, she had heard about this program where people were going to raft the Klamath River. And it sounded kind of extreme. She wasn't old enough to actually participate in the program. And I think my mom was, she didn't want to be the bad parent, tell her no, because we we're, I, I think we we're all like a little scared of that type of thing. 
but she wasn't, she didn't meet the age requirements. So I was like, yeah, definitely apply to that. And instead of being told no, she was like a perfect fit for the program. And the next day she was packing her bags and was off on a couple week adventure on the, on the Klamath River with these people. We had no clue who they were. Dropped her off in the parking lot of like Macy's or something. Uh, to this lady in a white van and we're like we hope we see you again and we did and she had an amazing time and it was with this group uh this nonprofit organization called rios to rivers and what rios does is they do river running exchange programs with river-based youth from around the world and they basically take kids from either impacted or endangered rivers by dams, and they do source-to-sea expeditions. And so my little sister, you know, we've always been involved in stewardship, and, and that's what the whole programming is about, is taking care of the rivers where we all recreate. And she had this fantastic time. And fast forward, like a year later, the second part of the program, the way that Rios does their work, is they brought kids from Chile from this uh, river down in Chile where dams were supposed to go in. They brought those kids up and showed them the Klamath River. So that was what my little sister was on was these kids. She got to kind of host these kids and show them this river that she belongs to and talk about the relationships that we have with that river. And our river, we have uh, four uh, pretty large-scale dams on it for hydroelectric dams. And she got to tell those kids, you know, we don't get salmon in the upper part of the basin anymore. That's been removed from our diets because the dams don't have fish ladders. So, you know, that's how we kind of understand this river. It still provides for us, but just not the way that it once did. And, and a year later, the second part of that program was taking youth from the Klamath Basin down to Chilean Patagonia to the Rio Baker, the Baker River there was this alternate space. Uh, we had been fundraising. My little sister had been fundraising to to earn her way onto that trip and, and pay for her way there. And we had successfully done that. But this alternate space opened and she was like, you have to you have to apply. You have to go with me. And so thank goodness this other kid had lost their passport. We rush ordered my passport. And before I knew it, I was down in Chilean Patagonia with my little sister on my first river trip. Wow. Which is an amazing introduction to, to paddle sports was on one of the world's premier places for white water. And that was the first time going. And so I went from this river where we get annual notices on the Klamath here in Southern Oregon, North California, that like the, the water is toxic. You know, the water behind dams in those reservoirs turns green with toxic algae because water's sitting uh, and, and it's really bad for the environment, but there, you know, I'm seeing, I started counting on the first day and then I got past like 45 of these glaciers up, up above us and seeing the glacier and then this long Canyon waterfall system coming right into the river. You know, one of those is really cool when you're in Southern Oregon or the gorge, you know, up near Portland, but when when you count 45 of those in a day and you just kind of lose count of how many of those you're seeing, you can dip your water, your, your canteen and, and drink straight out of the river 
for three weeks. We were down there for three weeks. That was life changing for me. And and the white water, you know, having that such a huge river like that to introduce me to the sport. I started on. I I just haven't turned back since. It's it's such a beautiful thing. Three weeks in Patagonia as your introduction to adventure is, uh, yeah, I don't think I've heard of anyone else's intro being that epic. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that is some serious, that's a bucket list for anybody, you know, three weeks down there. Holy crap. (laughs) So for you though, your mind was already turning to, this is different than home in the sense that there's no dams or it's not having these same issues that home is having. So it's almost like adventure, was coupled from the beginning with you for for advocacy for making the outdoors better. Tell me if I'm wrong, or maybe you've put that together after the fact, but it sounds like it was right there at the beginning. Yeah, it was it was right there for me. And and I was enrolled in college. And so during these night times, like, you know, we're and we're self-supported on this. So in in a river trip, in a river expedition like that, we've got a number of of big rafts that are, you know, 14, 16 feet long, and we're carrying everything in. The Chilean Patagonia is is as bad country as you can kind of get. It's one of those places where you're you're out there. And so we've got all of our food, we've got everything with us. And and that's where I felt super comfortable. That that felt natural to me in the way that, you know, my dad has kind of brought us up of you know, you're able to take care of yourself. You you take in what you have and you leave the place better than you found it. It's not for, for us, for indigenous people that know that for like the the sport, the outdoor rec space as a whole, leave no traces is a is a great standard. But for like indigenous peoples, we've had such rich histories of finding balance in our stewardship, in our taking up space and moving through lands that leave no traces is kind of ludicrous for us like we we aim to to find that balance of our civilization our society and our relationship with these lands and waters through like natural contracts through like okay i understand that i can't overtake overfish overuse over travel these places because i i owe that place Uh, a debt because it's providing for me it's providing me sustenance it's providing me a beautiful place to be and so being down in chilean patagonia you know for three weeks with with the youth from there you know having those people come and host us and have pride and showing you know we're all from these small rural communities and you know we might not have the best economies but we're in some of the most beautiful places in the world and so to be able to go and celebrate, they had beaten the campaign to put dams on the river through community action. And so it was this, such a deeply rooted thing for me because they won. They have, they they had won. They had saved their river from development, from this extractive economy where otherwise that river would not run the same. You'd lose rapids, communities would get flooded out. And so... On, on a nightly basis when we're setting up camp, I was still in college. And so I was doing like calculus proofs in the middle of the night after some pretty long days on the river. I'd set up my headlamp in the top of the tent and do some calculus proofs. Then I 
came home awesome. after the trip and aced my finals. But I was so tied to this, and this is where I wanted, I think, my my post-secondary ed to take me towards was this intersection of like land and water play and usage and building solidarity in networks and environmental stewardship that I ended up dropping out and I've been sticking with, I've, I've been working with Rio's ever since 2018. And so to, to answer your question, like that's how deeply that kind of resonated with me was it's kind of become my life um, using those intersections uh, that, that are super effective. What was it about paddling specifically that got you so, got, it wrapped you up so much? You know what I'm saying? Was it because of that introduction in Patagonia? Could it, could it have been cycling or something else? Or is there something, I know you were talking about the history of paddling and being canoe people. Do you think that's what it was? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I think so. There's there's something about being on this river. They're like super highways. And and the way in which you can kind of maneuver through a landscape on a river. I mean, on foot doing through hikes is is amazing, but it's not it doesn't have that um as intimate of a relationship for me as, as water has had. Um, and so being able and, and the adrenaline of it, even if you're doing super crazy mountain traverses and and running them, like some of these elite athletes, it's this really, really unsafe way wherein there's, uh, there's huge hazards with whitewater paddling, but the way in which the river kind of, lets you go through it and and has these really fun opportunities to play as you're traveling through it uh, using these vehicles. I, I haven't really seen another sport akin to it. Um, and, and being a lake and a river person, it just, it really does speak to the soul, the way that you're able to connect with this place and, and just how adrenaline, adrenaline wise, it is, it is such a beautiful thing hitting hitting big waves and, and catching air, you know, flying in this in this little self-contained unit. There's nothing like it. Too cool. Oh, I just love it. Um <laughs> I love to be on the water, but not not the adrenaline as much. I do more paddle boarding slowly, but you you are going and we don't have any uh rapids here in Florida, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm limited. We have waves in the ocean and whatnot, but um but so, so, so describe the Klamath River. Now, obviously, I know a lot of your advocacy and your work is being done there. Describe this river. You talked about the dams. Tell us about what this place is like and what draws you there. Oh, man, it's it's home. You know, <laughs> I've, my, my family's brought me up around in, in the tributaries, really. we My little sister and I really hadn't gone past the headwaters of the Klamath for a majority of our life until we started that whitewater stuff. But the the Klamath, its headwaters come from throughout southern Oregon, but one of the most iconic tributaries or aquifers for its headwaters is Crater Lake. And so coming out of this mountain volcano, the volcanic lake, um, we call it Giwas 
in, in our language. We were here before that volcano blew up 7,700 years ago. Uh, and so water sits up there, all the snowpack from the, from the winter and comes through. And I live on one of its aquifers on the, on the Wood River. And so it's this crystalline uh, turquoise blue water that comes out of the ground. It's some of the best tasting water in the world. I'm a little biased, but it is some of the best stuff in the world. And in the upper basin, we have a number of lakes. A bunch of these lakes were actually drained lakes and marshlands, uh, really similar to to the the kind of waters that you're used to in Florida with that like marshy, just super nutrient dense kind of place. We don't have crocodiles, but we've got some pretty mean mosquitoes <laughs> right. and all of that. Uh, you know, it's, it's a super different type of water than, than the mid and the, the lower part of the Klamath. And so we go from this mountain lake type of terrain to the, to the Trinity Alps, some pretty steep stuff and some pretty steep whitewater as well. So class four or five sections uh, white water is classified basically one through five is runnable and then past five plus is stuff that doesn't get ran and so similar to like a, a climbing uh, type grade system but uh yeah the mid Klamath is this gorgeous canyon big big mountain um arena and then you kind of come towards the mouth of the river i think it's around 300 miles uh, from like the start to the to the mouth of the river um, I count the tributaries so I kind of get mixed up on on the numbers but you end up at the redwoods on the coast and so right where you're coming into the mouth of the river and you meet the ocean uh, you've got these giant uh, coastal redwoods that welcome you uh, and it's it's pretty unreal to, to be able to travel from crater lake all the way to the redwoods on a single river and and to see all of the different cultures that kind of lie on the river um, my tribe the klamath tribes were one of four tribes on the river or one of the four federally recognized tribes anyways there's a number of tribes that are not federally recognized and the different cultures that exist throughout the river are super um you know, evident of the different types of way that the river represents itself with uh, human activity. Man, can tell you're uh, you love this place and you love this river uh, and the tributaries to it. What you know, besides the dams, what were some of the major changes that just development irrigation brought to the river as you saw? Because you know, we all. It's crazy to think like we all fall in love with a place the way it is because that's all we've known, but we haven't, we didn't see the place a hundred years ago or 7,000 years ago and knowing a certain amount has been lost in our lifetime, you know, what has, I don't know, been some of the biggest changes you've seen and kind of just helped fuel this advocacy for it because I've read that it was one of the most productive salmon rivers uh, systems in the whole United States at one time, but that has since not been the case. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I think the three biggest impacts on the river uh, are water quality, water quantity, 
and dams. And so, like I was telling you, a, a lot of these bigger impacts formally started around 1905. And so just a little over 100 years ago. And that started with lakes and marshes being drained for agricultural land. And so Southern Oregon uh, is super like high desert type area. And so Bend is like a very, people are pretty familiar with Bend. Uh, we're pretty similar to Bend in, in the way that the terrain looks here in Southern Oregon uh, around the headwaters of the Klamath. And so these lakes and marshes were super critical in terms of being able to water storage throughout the year, as well as dealing with nutrient loads. And so those, when those were drained, we lost something like 90% of our marshlands here. And so imagine what that would do to Florida if you lost 90% of your marshlands, um, that, that really critical yeah. Everglades, you know, which you, you guys are dealing with stuff there. <laughs> but um, that's what happened for us. Oh, yeah, was, definitely. You know, lo- losing all of that and turning it into this monocrop agricultural land that has started to use use water in an unregulated, unmonitored type of fashion. And the agricultural runoff from cows, from uh, pesticides, all of those things are feeding into a system that no longer has a filter. Those natural filters of the lakes and the marshes no longer exist in the upper basin because 90% of it's gone. And so we put in the dams shortly after 1905, starting in 1905, and we created all of these artificial reservoirs. And so instead of a nice, cold, free-flowing river, we created all of these lakes that never existed before. There were these really healthy, intricate systems of uh, lakes and marsh marshes that could clean and self-regulate and store water naturally. And instead, um, now we've got all of these reservoirs, zero marshland, zero actual water storage. We've got agricultural runoff and unregulated, unmonitored water usage. And we, the tribes, have to fight, you know, every day to make sure to, to ask and demand that the United States, the federal government, just does the bare minimum of that nation-to-nation relationship that we have outlined in our treaty, the Treaty of 1864, with the United States of maintaining this watershed that's critical for our lifeways, but we've we've held sacred. We have to use the terminology of like natural resource management because you know that's what the United States understands and recognizes, um, and so we've had to change our our relationship and and translate it so that the United States can understand um, and enforce these laws that they're really, really not interested um, in enforcing because of the monies and uh, the political preferences it has for agricultural parties here in the upper basin. And so I can't really speak for a lot of the downriver issues, but a lot of those downriver issues kind of stem from the headwaters because of the water quality that they're receiving from that in-stream flow. And I'll just mention, though, we are very, very excited to have the dam removal process uh, in its final stages. And so uh, at the end of 2023 is when dam removal uh, will start and by the end of 2024, all four of those large-scale dams should be removed. 
we've had this process started before and the feds have gotten in the way and said, no, you guys aren't ready for this. There's not proper protocols set up. They've come up with a number of different uh, reasons why to, uh, why they wanted to keep these dams. And so finally, both states, California and Oregon, have signed on as liability, to hold the liability, and the Klamath River Renewal Corporation was formed. They're fully funded. And so dam removal is happening and it's happening in my lifetime, which is in, insane. This is world changing for me because I've grown up on this river. My dad has brought us up doing creek and river restoration projects. We didn't know that that's what we were doing. We didn't know we were doing these deep ecological things. We thought we were just going and taking care of these streams and creeks because that's, you know, that's where we go and get our water. That's what takes care of the rivers. And so... For my dad, the decades of work that he's done and other people like him, my uncles, cousins, all of these people that came before us that have done all these decades of work, they did it without understanding that they would ever see, reap the benefits to, to see a river come back in their lifetimes. And so the idea that my dad could see salmon come back to the upper basin within his lifetime is beautiful to me. That's it's such a... The dynamic, the that baseline thing where that's supposed to be a part of our diet. That's supposed to nurture and give our bodies the fuel to go and run around in these mountains to go paddle on on these rivers. That that hasn't existed for us. And for my nephews and nieces, they'll get to live in a world here where they'll never know a reality for them. They'll never know a life way that doesn't include those really critical proteins and fats that nourish them and being able to pull those salmon out themselves and have that really intimate relationship with the land and water where their people have called that home for since time immemorial. And so I've, I've lived in a really, really dark time in terms of ecological status, but I'm also living in one of the most hopeful times that has ever existed in, in the face of uh, this dystopian status of our rivers and, and lakes. But in that darkness, uh, I also have, I'm, I'm really lucky to be in a time and in a place where I get to be a part of the movement towards dam removal, and I get to celebrate that and share that with others. Wow. I bet it's invigorating. I bet it's, I mean, it's just going to be such a big deal. This is so cool. I know you're doing as well, not just working to to get this dam removal project across the finish line um, and kind of keep helping keep that momentum, but I know you do photography that helps bring awareness to it. I know you do, you're, you are planning a film and you're actually planning an adventure to kind of celebrate this whole thing. Can you tell us about what that adventure is and when it's going to take place? Yeah. So originally I had this idea of bringing young representatives. So using Rios Rivers, I'm I'm their chief storyteller, by the way. Um, And so I handle all of our uh, communications and and help with admin. But I had this idea uh, using the framework, so Rios, we find the youth from these river sheds, and we, we're really selective with who we're bringing. We want these students, these participants in our expeditions, to to be people that are, you know, kind of taking care of rivers. Our our tagline is inspiring the next generation of river stewards, 
for 2020, which was the original date for the dam removal, I had this idea of bringing youth from 20 different river basins around the world to come and bear witness in indigenous ceremonies and protocols, it's it's really important to have community members from outside of your direct community to come in and, and you know experience to witness that that role as a witness and taking that story home to their communities and sharing that story was our manner of historical reference was uh, that was our recording and so our stories are are really rich. Um, in, in nuance. Uh, and so I wanted to bring 20 different river basins in 2020. And every year that they've pushed it back, we just add on another river basin. And so right now we're planning on a 2025 expedition of the Freed Klamath. Somebody had told me, instead of calling it a first descent, maybe a re-descent. I'm, I'm not a fan. Um, like the, the colonial nature of a lot of adventure sports in the first descent or the first ascent, you know, it's like tacking your name on there and like you've conquered it. But when you think about like Everest or K2, it's like people are not conquering that mountain. You're, you're lucky to go up there and you're lucky if that weather window allows you to be uh, up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that word conquering in the outdoors. I hate it because it is, yeah. you are surviving by the grace of mother nature herself <laughs> to come down from something like that. Yeah. I totally, we, we avoid that language at all costs here. So. Yeah. And so figuring that out for us of like, well, if somebody's because somebody is going to go down in history for the first to paddle down the Klamath, you know, po- post dams. So, Post dams, a, a freed Klamath, you know, in this new recorded history, and um, and so I was telling the story. Basically, there's 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 two different expeditions that are that are being planned, uh, and that first one is bringing those 25 different river basins, so the White Nile, the Zambezi, the Mekong River, all of these really big, really classic rivers that have been impacted and endangered by rivers. I've we're, we're selecting youth from those rivers, from the Amazon, from um, from Chilean Patagonia. Those those rivers where it's that story is going to go really far. Where they're fighting dams right now, uh, that story of our dam removal and getting to come and see dams uh, being removed and, and a renewed relationship is going to be huge for them. Um, and so that's the one huge expedition I'm really looking forward to. But I was telling the story to a professional kayaker last year. I'm an ambassador for NRS, uh, the Northwest River Suppliers, and uh, we were doing a an expedition out on the on the Snake River um, out in Idaho, and we stopped by White Salmon um, on the Columbia Gorge, and NRS had brought out this professional kayaker. His name is Rush Sturgis um, and Tyler Bratt, um, and and I was telling them the story of, you know, I'm going to bring 25 different river basins around the world, come and experience the, the first descent recent of, of my freed river. And they were super stoked. They asked me, you know, are any Klamath tribal youth going to, to hard shell it? Are you going to go in a whitewater kayak? And there's really not that many um, like Klamath tribal kayakers on the river um, in the different communities. 
there's virtually uh, none of us. It's, it's a really hard sport to get into. A lot of outdoor rec sports, these extreme sports, um, you know, there's a very tall barrier of entry, the cost of entry, and then the education and infrastructure that has to exist to, to allow these sports to happen um, is huge. And so I, I couldn't name any other kayakers outside of, and I'm, I'm a beginning kayaker. I'm still kind of getting my place in, in the sport. But uh, that conversation with them while we were paddling with my youth um, on the white salmon inspired this program called Paddle Tribal Waters. And so uh, this July, in about a week, uh, we start and we're going to train up 16 Klamath tribal youth from throughout the, the Klamath Basin. All, all of the federally recognized tribes are represented, and we're, we're kidding them out. So um, Jackson Kayak, NRS, um, all Werner Paddles, they're all helping us. We, we've done a lot of uh, fundraising to, to make this program happen, uh, cost-free for our kids, and they're going to they're going to go away from our program knowing how to paddle, um, you know, doing all the introductory paddle uh, skills. They're going to go home with uh, wilderness first aid and swift water rescue certifications. Um, and we're just so excited because the, the idea is to train these kids up. They're going to be the ones to do that first descent. And we want to center them because they can kind of teach the, the outdoor rec community. They can manufacture this, um, you know, when the Klamath is freed, there's going to be a huge push for a, a whitewater um, space, a whitewater community on the river bigger than it is right now. And they can use their teachings from their communities to kind of steer that that um, that space, our, our paddling community, towards a more sustainable, a more stewardship-driven uh, type of, of manner. And so I want them to really define what responsible recreation, what what a good land and water use looks like for the Klamath Basin, because I can't do it alone. I can't speak for those lower tribes and older people. You know, it's even further for them to be able to understand what a young person, what a young tribal member that is involved in the whitewater, that is involved in outdoor rec on the river is going to see as the responsible way to make sure that they're aligning the sport and recreation can be very extractive um my buddies over at natives outdoors uh they've got an awesome film on on looking at how outdoor recreation can can kind of be extractive and you're going and you're taking from a place this experience but how are you giving back how are you maintaining that trade relationship with these places um and i really want to use that ideal of these tribal kids can can show what outdoor rec looks like while aligning that with these traditional ecological knowledge systems that we have ingrained in our identities for the future and and really show what a deep relationship with with a a natural place looks like um and so i'm i'm so excited because i'm just getting to be a part and getting to witness and and play my role in this Uh, but yeah, that's that's the second part of this huge expedition that we're planning, and and we've got a film. Russ Sturgis is gonna uh, help make that film. We're co-directing that film, and and just super stoked to to be on this ride with these kids. And that's coming up this this month. 
or next month? This month, in in about a week, uh, we're we're starting. It'll be on the Cal Salmon, so the California Salmon and the Klamath River. Um, we're doing it at this really legendary place called Otter Bar. Um, it's a kayaking lodge that has existed for like 40 plus years. It's super luxurious. The kids are going to be, you know, so well taken care of. We've got a cook helping us from Otter Bar, um, fully get it out. I'm, I'm so stoked for this to happen and, and to see where these kids take, take their paddling careers after this. Cause, um, the, the, the stoke, the inspiration, their dedication is, is unreal. Wow. And, and this is not necessarily the film about the dam removal. Uh, this this will roll into the dam removal okay. one. So this first because no dams have been removed yet. Uh, not yet, not off the Klamath. So these big four are going to happen starting. The dam removals are starting late in 2023 and early in 2024. And so the latest or the earliest that we can run it is is late 2024. But water is going to be bad. So think of it as like a bad time of year for for like skiing or something like it, it's totally, not good, totally. good to go. Um, and so spring 2025 is when we'll have everybody going down and, and really having that party on the river. Um, but this short film, we'll have a short film come out either late this year, or early next year, showing this, this experience, this first cohort of, of kids uh, learning how to kayak on the, on the Klamath. Wow. That is awesome. You're doing so much. You're, you're, you're connecting your your history and your heritage and your people back to what it's supposed to be. You're connecting children with the world of adventure sports and the world of, of you know, conservation and stewardship. You're doing the actual work of stewardship and conservation itself. There's a lot going on here, and I'm sure you are just absolutely stoked. And I, I know I got to go in just a couple minutes, but what we should do you know, I know this is going to be a multi-stage project, getting these dams out and creating that that re-first descent or that post-dam first descent down the river. Absolutely epic story. And please keep us posted with uh, Athletic Brewing and here on the show. I, I definitely want to feature this and, and talk it up whenever we get the chance because this is so unique of an intersection between putting adventure sports to good use beyond just your personal growth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I I love it. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.